Well, turn in your Bibles to the, the epistle of First Peter, be in verses 3 through 9. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, uh, you can find our text on page 10. If you are visiting with us this morning, a very special welcome to you. My name is Ashley. I'm one of the pastors here, or I, I am the pastor here. I pretend like there are other... other um, we have, so, but uh, t- take a moment and, and look in the back of the pew in front of you and find a visitor card and drop it in. The, there's a little box in the back. We'd love to, to know a little bit more about you, and we'd love to send you a copy of R.C. Sproul's Enjoying God. I'm very glad that you're here this morning. So, Let me read for us our text from 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Let's pray together. O make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip in conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. Amen. Well, when I was 16, uh, my, my grandfather passed away. And he didn't have much to, to leave us or, or anybody, really. He wasn't, to say he wasn't rich is, a, is really an understatement. Um, he had worked blue-collar jobs his entire life. Uh, but, but he did have one worldly possession that he left as my inheritance. And uh, that, that was a, a 1982 Chevy S10 pickup truck. It was blue and then black. Uh, it had a standard transmission and it had a tape deck, which was super cool and uh, not at all archaic in that day. <laughs> it was. And I drove that truck for the next eight years, right? I drove that truck through two clutches, one paint job, uh, a bunch of tires, a back set of rotors. And in 1997, you could, you could just squeeze 20 bucks worth of gas into the thing if it was on fumes, which it usually was, right? And finally, the transmission fell out of it on campus at the University of Memphis. So uh, what happened to it after that, I'm not really sure. But, but like, you can imagine, right, driving, maybe you, you've had a vehicle or something like that that just fills you with memories, right? Driving that truck was full of memories of my grandfather and my granddad. Uh, it, was, it was almost like being, being with him, right? It was, it was my inheritance. 
And, and after he got sick, he told mom and dad that he wanted me to have it. And so that meant that one of the last wishes or desires that he made in his life was for me to receive that truck. And he left it to me because I was his grandson. Some might say, not me, but some might say his favorite grandson. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't earn it. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't work for it. It wasn't a reward for anything. It became mine because of a relationship that I had with this man. It became mine because of the desire of my granddaddy to, to give it to me. And that's the only reason it became mine, right? Look at verse 3 and 4 of our text here. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Christ is the living hope. Christ is the inheritance of the Christian Really, in these first like seven verses of First Peter, Christ is central to all of them, right? I mean, of course he is. But five times in these seven verses, people, Peter uses the name Jesus Christ. Our hope and our inheritance hinges on the, the life, on his life, on his death, and on his resurrection. And we are made alive to this living hope because he died and came back to life. How does having Christ as your living hope and as your inheritance help you? How does it, how does it help you in your own doubts and, and in your own struggles with, with faith, in your, in your fears and worries over the faith of those that you love? How does having Christ, your living hope, and as your inheritance help you in just in the wounds of life, in the hurts of life, when, when circumstances have been bad for so long and they really show no sign of changing, right? Estrangement from friends and family and parents and children. And what about when you feel estranged from God? How does having Christ as your living hope and as your inheritance help you worship with joy? How does it it help you worship with joy when when life and kids' schedules and work travels and all these things, whatever it is that kind of clogs up your shared iCal calendar on your phone, just overwhelms you? When When it's easier to stay home than worship in the pew next to other believers, how does having Christ as your inheritance and as your hope help you? Let's look at that. Let's try to, let's try to get at some of that. This, this inheritance is our sure salvation. It's our enduring salvation. And it's our joyful salvation. Our sure, our enduring, and our joyful salvation. Let's look, at, let's look at Christ as our sure salvation, first of all, 
three, three through five, it says again, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. So Peter here describes this, this hope that we have in Christ as, as being a living hope. And, and he kind of then goes into it and unpacks it for us uh, a little bit. Um, he, he unpacks it for us and tells us what this hope and inheritance really isn't, right? It is not perishable. That is, it never, it never degrades, it never dies, uh, it never ends. It's not defiled. It's, it's untouched by sin's corruption. Hope that is perfectly pure. It, it does not fade. In other words, it's, it's timeless. It's never less than it was the day before. It cannot be lessened by our circumstances. And it is the same hope in the best of times and it's the same as it is in the worst of times, right? This hope and inheritance bears a striking resemblance to a person. <laughs> and that person is, of course, Jesus. He died and was raised so that death itself would perish forever. And he is the only one who has never known the corruption and defilement of his own sin. And he is the eternal savior of his people. He's the rock of our salvation, right? Our hope is living because Jesus is alive and he is our hope. So this hope and this inheritance is alive and it's a sure thing that we're reading. We're reading first Peter and kind of reading a, a commentary, Dan Doriani's commentary on it as a, as a session, as we meet, we always have a little devotional before our, each of our meetings. And this is what we're doing as a session. And so we were actually, uh, I'm, I'm going to you know, quickly outpace them in my sermons, but for this week, we were on track with each other. And as we had our discussions in our, our session meeting Monday, uh, Rick pointed out that this language, the language of verses three through five really reminds him of Jesus's high priestly prayer in John 17. I went back and looked at it and it, it, it will here, listen to it. The, the similarities are striking from John 17, 12, Jesus is praying in the upper room with his disciples. He says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost. Look at verse five in our text that this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Note, note something, something just jumped out at me, right? It's you who are being guarded by God's power. The, the inheritance is being kept for you who by God's power are being guarded by nothing less than the power of almighty God. So both the inheritance and the recipient of the inheritance are preserved and guarded. God keeps the inheritance for us, but he also keeps us for the inheritance. When you're immersed in times of, of doubt and struggle, 
being reminded of these truths probably won't instantly fix whatever it is that you're experiencing and suffering through, but they're important to remember. They're important to remember nonetheless, because in those times, I don't know about you, but in those times, that's when the lies are the loudest, right? That's when the lies of you're not good enough, you're not worth the, the salvation that's been given to you, you're not worth the love of the people around you, much less the heavenly father that has saved you, that you, you can't do the things that you want to do or feel called to do, you're totally insufficient. Like when the lies are loud, this helps drown them in truth. Because oftentimes the lies seem like truth and the truth seems like a lie. And sometimes I'll say to Catherine in the morning when I I wake up and I'm just sort of feeling overwhelmed or this weight uh, or just a little depressed or whatever, and I'll just say to her, the lies are loud today. And throughout the day, she reminds me of the truth. Reminds me of the sure salvation. Whatever else may be going on, that I'm being kept and guarded for this inheritance that's being kept and guarded for me. Let's look at the enduring salvation, verse 6 to 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're going put to put a pin in the rejoicing part for right now. We'll, we'll come back to that, but... But one of, one of the commentators I read this week says that suffering follows true faith like wake follows a boat. It's a part of our exile status. Remember in verses 1 and 2, Peter describes us as elect exiles. Right? And that's going to be a theme throughout. But we groan under the weight of living in a fallen world as fallen people. That illness, death, injustice... Uh, poverty, racism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like we groan under the weight of the reality of living in a world in which these things are present. God's people see these things for what they are. We see these things as, as the products of sin's defilement of the world and our own flesh. We see these things as the product of sins working in the world. That's part of our our suffering, right? Also, our lives as followers of Jesus, our values, our morals, our sensibilities don't match the world around us. And that feels like suffering. As our culture becomes more and more post-Christian, Christians will experience more suffering in the form of persecution. I recently met a a brother who's a church planter in Manchester, England, and he was teaching a seminar about ministry in a post-everything culture, a post-everything world. But he said that he is confident 
that before too long, before the end of his career, certainly, that he will be liable to be jailed in the United Kingdom for preaching the Bible. I think there was a recent court decision in the United Kingdom that just about, about a street preacher that that he was uh, jailed for that very thing, that they dismissed the case, thankfully. But it won't be too long before they'll stop dismissing the cases. The de-Christianization of the U.S. is moving much faster than it did in Europe uh, because of social media and everything. So it won't be too long before we are facing persecution as followers of Jesus. That certainly will be suffering. That is certainly some of the suffering that Peter's audience is experiencing as he writes this letter to them. So what does Peter have to say to us about suffering? He says several things. He, he describes it in lots of different ways. So let's kind of walk through these real briefly, real quickly. First of all, suffering is brief from the perspective of eternity. <laughs> when you're going through it, it does not seem brief. But Peter says that it is it is brief. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 4:17 for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So thankfully, from the perspective of eternity, suffering is brief. He says that there are various kinds of suffering. Some some come as a result of sin, our sin, the sins of others, Some come as a result of the thorns and thistles of life in this fallen world. So there's various kinds of suffering. He also says that suffering is necessary. That is, that sufferings that we go through are not pointless. They have a meaning to them. And they show our faith to be genuine. He says suffering refines our faith. Peter uses the familiar metaphor of gold being refined by fire. Suffering purifies our faith with fire. And if that sounds painful, it is, right? We know this because we've gone through it. Suffering results in praise and glory. He says, Peter says, that in, so that we may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Christ returns to make all things new, the things that seem to make life hell now will be a source of praise for our Savior because we'll see how he sustained and strengthened us through those times. We'll see how he used the fire of suffering in your life for the good of his gospel kingdom. Again, all of this is truth. It doesn't necessarily mean that because we read it and remind ourselves of it, the pain of the suffering that we are currently going through will will magically disappear. But having this truth will remind us of who our living hope is. Christ. Christ is your living hope. And he's our living hope because he's alive. Because he's, he's not dead. He is living. That is... He is living now, currently, in heaven with God the Father, but that is, he also really lived. He really lived a life, and, which means he suffered, which means Christ experienced the pain of living in a fallen world, that, that Christ Jesus lost people that he loved. 
He experienced estrangement and relational brokenness. He experienced poverty and want. And he certainly experienced persecution, ridicule, public shame. Jesus experienced all of these things. Jesus becomes your hope in suffering by suffering for you and suffering alongside you. So our our salvation is enduring because Christ is our living hope. Let's look at this joyful salvation, finally. Verse 6 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. What What is the this that we rejoice in? It's the living hope that is ours. It's the inheritance that is ours. That's what we, that's the source of our rejoicing, that, that Jesus himself is the source of our salvation and our joy in suffering. Skip down to verse eight and nine. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter's readers have joy in suffering, even though they they have never seen Jesus. They've never laid eyes on Jesus, that that Jesus is patient and he's kind in our, our sincere doubting, just as he was to Thomas. If you remember Thomas, the disciple in the upper room after the resurrection said, unless I see him, unless I put my fingers in his in the nails prints in his hands and my hand in his side, I will never believe. And Jesus treats Thomas with patience and grace and kindness. And he accommodated Thomas in his questions and, and he helped him in his faith. But Jesus also said this to Thomas. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. God has been so much more gracious to Peter's readers and all those who believe without seeing Jesus personally, right? Because the faith that we have in the, in the saving work of Jesus, the, the affection that we have for him, and because of the hope and inheritance that is ours through him, all of that comes from him. Look back up at verse 3. What does it say? He has, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. The reason this joy that is within us is inexpressible is because it's sourced in the work of God on our behalf. It's, its origins are from the work of God. It's inexpressible and it's filled with glory. Suffering threatens to obscure the, this joy. Suffering threatens to obscure the, the hope in, in our, of our inheritance. Dan Doriani says, through Christ we have life and no force from without or within can destroy it. Even when we face trials, we take heart because they demonstrate that our allegiance to God is genuine, especially when we persevere through them. He goes on to, to use this example in his commentary of of, a, of throwing a surprise party. That there's all this, 
the planning and, and, and making, you know, making a party happen that just goes into a normal party, but then you have this extra element of, of keeping it all secret and hidden and making sure that, that when the guests arrive, they park, you know, way around the corner and they come into the party place with, you know, with, you know, without anybody seeing and, you know, you have to arrange uh, for everybody to kind of keep out of sight. And then someone has to make sure that the, the birthday girl gets to the correct place at the correct time. And that, that involves making up excuses. It involves like, you know, all of this, you know, finagling and let's just say good natured manipulation. Um, <laughs> Jesus not only plans and arranges the party, but he sees that we are delivered safely to it. Both the inheritance and the recipient of the inheritance are preserved and guarded by God's power. God keeps the inheritance for us and he keeps us for the inheritance. You know when we get reminded of this each week? It's when we come to this table. When we come to this table each week as God's people, the Lord's Supper is pointing us and reminding us and telling us and preaching to us and demonstrating to us about this inheritance, about this living hope that is ours. It is, it is a sign pointing us to Jesus. It also reminds us that this inheritance is being kept for us. It's being guarded for us. That is, the Lord's Supper is not only a sign that points us, but it's a, a seal that confirms in us the reality that we belong to the inheritance and the inheritance belongs to us. This is a rehearsal feast for a real feast that is going to take place. This is a confirmation that a real feast awaits us around this, the table of our king. It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That is our hope. Receive it by faith. Trust in the one who made that inheritance possible through his own broken body and shed blood. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that this inheritance is ours, that it's, it's really, really, really ours. Uh, this is true, that when all the lies seem loud, uh, we have this reminder. We have this reminder of the truth of Scripture. We have this reminder in the sacraments that you set before us. We have this reminder in the knowledge that we are approaching, we can, we can boldly approach your eternal throne and, and claim sonship before you because of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for that wonderful truth. Lord, thank you for reminding us of that truth this day and each week as we gather as your people. And Lord, we pray that you would, this morning, use this sacrament to, to preach again to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.